this evening we're going to be looking at the, uh, this is the second uh, last um, session of Lecture Divina this year. We have one more in June and then we'll start again next year and finish off the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's going to be very interesting because the last third of the Gospel of Mark is the Passion. And so the whole year pretty well will be in the Passion and I think we should get to the resurrection. I would hate to do a Good Friday on Easter Sunday, but we'll probably try to get it more or less done. And so by the end of next year, we will have had the experience of a meditation lecture divina upon the whole of the Gospel of Mark. So I hope that will be something that, I've always wanted to do something like this, to be able to go right through the whole of a Gospel. And so this is where we're going. I hope also that fairly soon, a little bird told me that fairly soon, we may be able to get rid of this uh, scaffolding, at least a lot of it, to see some of the astonishing beauty that lies just above our heads, and of which I must admit, pulling rank as the cardinal, I got a little peek. Uh, so you have much to await. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful, uh, but not yet. <laughs> It'll soon be. And so um, we will look now. We'll be at this portion of the Gospel of Mark. Our Lord begins to turn towards Jerusalem and we begin to move into the uh, preparation for his suffering, death, and resurrection, which will, of course, occupy the next portion of the gospel. This is a time, too, whenever our Lord speaks of that move towards Jerusalem, on the way, on the journey, towards his suffering, death, and resurrection, he then takes time to instruct his disciples, to prepare them for discipleship. And so that, too, is part of what we will be experiencing this evening, and we begin to see one of the central points of discipleship, which is our sense of indigence, our sense of our need for God. And we have that great foundation of one of the greatest of all prayers, the Jesus prayer, where Bartimaeus on the side of the road says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And maybe that's particularly appropriate as we enter into fairly soon, and the next as we prepare for the Jubilee of Mercy, which our Holy Father Pope Francis is prepared for and has asked us to celebrate in this coming year. And so let us now begin our time of Lectio Divina. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us now clear our hearts and minds of all those obstructions and all those things that clutter up our lives. We let them go our cares, our worries, our concerns. He says to us as we hear his holy gospel, be not afraid, it is I. Put your trust, we put our trust in him. We ask the Lord to forgive us all of those sins which are a barrier to his presence, to the coming of the Lord, which block the pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. 
and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his mantle, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And he knew, and perhaps they knew, that the final time had come. He was going, as he says, just in a short time to experience the passion 
and in due time the resurrection. The moment of turning towards that point of focus in his mission was upon them. They are on the road. And we're on the road all the time, going to Jerusalem. That's why I think it is a really good idea that at every funeral, the last hymn, or at least one of them, be about Jerusalem. Because we're all on the road heading for the heavenly Jerusalem. But he was there moving forward and Jesus was walking ahead of them. You can just imagine it. There they are. He was striding towards Jerusalem. He wasn't holding back thinking, oh my, what awaits me there? He was going ahead of them, leading them on the path, on the road, on the way. The term there is, of course, what we hear, the early term for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, the way. And Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who shows the way, and it goes by the way of the suffering and death to resurrection. As many of his disciples are experiencing in these very days. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And they were amazed. That sense of wonder, the presence of Jesus is constant throughout the Gospels, all the Gospels, but maybe especially in the Gospel of Mark, which gives us that pure essence of the encounter with Christ. And they were amazed. Remember how it says earlier on, you know, he, he speaks with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. This sense of wonder, amazement, as he strides ahead of them on his way to Jerusalem. That is marvelous. And it's the mark of the disciple. It's what draws them to him. And those who followed were afraid. And the two of them are mixed together. Amazement and wonder the majesty of Christ and the impact of this, this one who they, they just cannot get their, their heads around. This is the one who is the master. And they were afraid. And of course, they had reason to be. If they were calculating in their own minds from what they knew of the opposition to Jesus, which we see throughout this gospel, at all the gospels, if they were thinking of what was ahead of him in Jerusalem. The immediate experience of his presence is tempered by the fear when they calculate in this context as their minds focus on Jesus, they're amazed. And as it focuses on where he's going, they're filled with fear. This is sort of like Peter jumping out of the boat, running to Jesus, amazed. And then as he begins to calculate the wind and the waves, sinking in fear. Let's reflect on that a bit in our own lives, in our own encounter with Christ our Lord. To what degree do we so much think of the consequences of living our Christian life intentionally, really living it? I mean, the, the thin substitute for Christianity 
neither amazes nor brings fear. It's just plastic. But if we really are amazed at our encounter with Christ our Lord and are conscious of where he's leading us in this society and, and the forces that are against him, then it may well in a human way fill us with fear. And the two of them do battle in our hearts until we realize he is the one who says, as Pope John Paul said at the very beginning of his pontificate, quoting the Lord, be not afraid. And think of our brothers and sisters in so many places around the world now who have a human reason for fear because they are facing martyrdom. Hundreds and thousands of our brothers and sisters are being slaughtered shedding their blood for Christ. You think of the fear in the hearts of those Coptic martyrs as they face their death, but the courage with which as they were martyred in the wonder at Christ's presence, who they were about to encounter in glory, they cried out, Jesus is Lord. The fear is in the heart but the glory and amazement is there for those who see our Lord and we who have the privilege to experience our risen Savior. And if that is true for our brothers and sisters now who are facing this martyrdom, what is it for us? Can we who live in this society, this pale secular society, can we experience the depth of amazement but following Jesus, as he strides before us down the pathway, on the way. And can we let our experience of his presence quench the fear that our very slight inconvenience of being a Christian in this society can rise and raise up within us, so much so that we too can deny our faith where our brothers and sisters who are facing death do not. These are things to think about now. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And as he went forward down the road to Jerusalem, striding ahead of them, they who were filled with amazement and fear, he takes the 12. As he often does, he calls them apart because they need to help the others in due time. He gives them, you know how often he goes into the house to sort of explain things to the 12, try to get through to them, so that when the time comes, they'll be able to, to help. We've got to keep ourselves, we, this is for the gathered. Got to reach out to the scattered. If the gathered haven't encountered the Lord, 
How are they going to help the scattered? So he calls the 12 together, whom he has called by name personally. And what he gives to them is not, do not worry at all, all will be well, every day and every way, we're getting better and better. Uh, this is not what he says, or everything is just great. He says to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. No cross, no crown. He speaks of the cross and then of the glory, the glory that comes through suffering, death, and resurrection. And that is and always will be the path of those who follow in the imitation of Christ, even in every one of our churches. The Stations of the Cross goes around the perimeter, and we then spend time in adoration before our Lord, our Eucharistic risen Lord, and we experience the celebration of the Holy Eucharist right here. This is passion, death, resurrection, resurrection. But we can't short-circuit it just as Dante couldn't go from the dark forest straight to the top of the heavenly mountain. We gotta go through it all, we gotta be purified. They will have to be purified. They, in a sense, don't know yet what's on the road. It's a road, as you say, you know, life is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a road, it's a, a journey, it's a pilgrimage. That's why it's good to have pilgrimages in our life. That's why it's an old uh, Christian tradition. That's why uh, our Holy Father, starting a Jubilee year, we have people making pilgrimages, going on the road to Rome to go through the holy door, the door of mercy. And then he says, so that everyone can do that, the bishops are asked to set it up all over their diocese so we can do it here. But the idea is to be on a journey, to meditate as we do when we make the stations of the cross. We, we travel symbolically around the church, thinking of the journey that we travel out, outside on our way to Jerusalem and the crosses we carry, and the crosses that others carry, and how we can imitate Christ in bearing our own cross, and how maybe we can be like Simon of Cyrene and give somebody a hand with their crosses. All on the journey, slowly, over time. This speaks to us of the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of mercy. Maybe we should finally get a title for that sacrament, confession, penance, maybe just call it the sacrament of mercy, of repentance and mercy where our journey is a lifetime. That's why we go to confession again and again and again. Because, you know, be patient. God's not finished with me yet. It takes that slow process of purification. As every time we struggle, we slowly come on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem. And we need to do so meditating upon our risen Lord, but also very much upon the passion of the Lord. That's why I think, even in crucifixes, I must admit this isn't sort of a, I don't know, what can I say, this is an art thing, but the earliest crucifixes, when they had the body of Christ upon them, originally they were just like this, with the symbol of the Cairo, which is what the, the crystal symbol in the middle. But then we have the resurrection, the risen Lord like this, with priestly robes and crowns and things like that. And then we have the passion with St. Francis, and. The, the more familiar suffering Christ on the cross, 
Those are all legitimate. That's very real. Suffering Christ and the glory for Christ on the cross. One kind I never really have much personal liking for is Jesus jumping off the cross, which seems to be some of them are like that. I think that maybe misses a little of the symbolic uh, uh, heft, you might say, of this reading here. And so we meditate upon the passion and the resurrection, the Paschal mystery. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. What does meditation upon that say to my head that I may know him, my heart that I may love him, my hands that I may serve him? And James and John, sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Can you imagine? He's just talked about his suffering, death, and resurrection. And they're saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. We want you to do whatever we ask of you. This is the vision of God that I'm afraid we can easily fall into. It's also a vision of the church. We kind of pull in, give me the, I won't, you know, it's like going to a gas station. You want to get, you know, medium, more expensive, sort of the, the finest uh, gasoline for my spiritual life. Tank up on Sunday and take another tank up again. Maybe, or the, the vision of the church is kind of like visiting a supermarket where I'll, you know, squish a few of the vegetables and the fruits and things, see whether they're up to snuff, up to my standards, actually. You know, this is the way we can get very easily. Here they are, this is the voice, and he just has talked about, of all times, to be tone deaf to what he's saying, he just talked about his suffering, death, and resurrection in quite a bit of detail. And they say, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. This is backwards. This is, I don't, this is literally, I don't get anything out of the Mass. We want it to do for me whatever I want it to do. It goes the other way. It's participation. It's, what, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's not, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. <laughs> it seems to be, you know, it's, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not, my kingdom come, my will be done. I mean, we got a little reversal here now. They're, they got the thing switched. And yet it's so common. I mean, we all feel this way. We can so easily flip into being a consumer. They're consumers. Good grief, they are. Do you know that we called consumers? Do you ever think of that? We're known as that. You know, you know, consuming. We're just grazing. Is that all we are? Do you want to have that on your tombstone? You know, here lies a consumer. I mean, there's something just mixed up about that, sort of missing the point. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. In other words, God, as the kind of, I don't know, big supplier of whatever I want, whatever we want of you, God, produce 
So maybe let's think penitentially for a moment about how often we look in the mirror and we see James and John looking back at us. How about that? Let's think about that for a bit. Now, if our Lord had been impatient, he might have said, you idiots, have you not heard what I just said to you? Or he might have said, are your ears held in place by the vacuum in between? Or something like that. But he didn't. Our blessed Lord is very patient with them. And so he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? He is so kind. And they say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And so they, they have their eyes on the glory. But the glory they see is one that they're going to share in, in a quite a different, much more crass way than what he ought. They will share in his glory. In the glory of martyrdom. In the glory of the saints. They will indeed, in due time, he says, the cup I drink, you will drink. You will indeed, but they don't know what he means yet. They're looking for prominence, prestige, honor, glory. I'm at the right hand, you're at the left, and this is just missing the point. And yet, it is something that, you know, we can all kind of get into that. It's the kind of a narcissistic thing, and I think our whole society is... We're all kind of uh, <laughs> pumped up about this kind of thing, wanting to sit a, get ahead and be number one and all that. You know, looking out for number one. And really, the, fam the famous expression is, I am third. God is first, my neighbor is second, and I am third. We keep that in mind. We will attain glory of the most profound nature and on this earth inner peace. Where if we're seeking to sit in the right hand, the left hand, we're not going to get anywhere. So they say that. And by the way, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew kind of tried to tone it down a bit. He, he didn't want to admit the fact that, that, uh, that James and John themselves, these prominent apostles, actually were so crass as to ask for that. So he has their mother ask for them, which is not really, as we're approaching Mother's Day, is not a very nice thing to do. Their mother to say, of course, the boys wouldn't ask to be but the mother did for them. But Mark, as always, uh, doesn't cut out anything. He just says, no, it wasn't their mother. It was James and John who asked for this. Oh, my. Let us sit, one at your right and one at your left. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Are you able to drink the cup that I will drink? And the cup in biblical symbolism is the experience, the, the thing we're encountering, what we're going through. As indeed, our Lord at the, in the Gethsemane says, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. My cup runneth over is my life is filled with beauty and goodness. The cup 
is the cup of suffering, death, and resurrection. It is the whole experience. It is the not short-circuiting our way to the heavenly Jerusalem, because the way to Jerusalem is a lot longer for the rest of us than it is for the people traveling through modern-day Israel as they were in the, the Holy Land. There's a lot of a bigger journey there. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. This isn't, this doesn't have anything to do with, in this case, with baptism as in the sense of the sacrament. It has to be, are you willing to be immersed, plunged into the experience in, with, into which I am going to be plunged totally, absolutely? Are you willing to do that? To drink the cup and to experience totally? Are you going to take up your cross and come follow me? Will you walk in the imitation of Christ? Will you be with me on the journey? And they say, we're able. It's sort of like they did later on. We think of, is it I, Lord? You know, it's, or Peter. You know, James and John are the problem here. But Peter was, I will never deny you. That's why when we read the Holy Gospel, it's good to make the sign of the cross on our forehead that we will know it, on our lips that we will speak it, but mostly in our hearts that we will actually live it and not just, yes, I'm able, no problem, I'll take it on. We, we do need to make these commitments though. We are able, we will do it. In fact, we do this at the great sacraments of life. We're gonna do it right over here, uh, Saturday when two deacons are gonna be ordained to the priesthood. You know, we call out their name and they say, present. And then, uh, do you promise, uh, you know, you'll do these various things? Yes, the same as you do about here for weddings. And that's good. We should put words ahead of us. Our words go ahead of us the way Jesus goes ahead of the disciples on the road to Jerusalem. But then we have to humbly say, Lord, help me every day to live up to the words of commitment I have spoken and not simply say, I can do it. Because we have to know in our own frailty, like the apostles, we're very frail. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so an arrogant spirit or a self-referential spirit, that's the sure path to destruction. That's what the, um, all the old desert fathers and mothers in the you know, ancient times, this sense of illusion about being the ego, basically the ego. Yeah, it's, I guess the way this, what it is. We can do it, I can do it. Well, they will find out. And so maybe this is a lot to think about. We should spend, your, for your penance, let's now spend 10 hours meditating on this, this one little section. But since we don't have time for that, and uh, we will, let's just meditate upon it a bit. How often do I make cocky, ego-filled assertions when I really need to be a little more humbly aware of my need for God? How often do I not live up to the commitments I made? So we should say, we will do it, I will do it, but with God's grace, I will do it. Conscious of my sins, I will do it. That's why at ordination, before they make the they finally are ordained, they're on the floor asking, we all ask God to have mercy on them. And this will show up later in this passage. I think Bartimaeus 
could do it because he begins with not we are able and I am able, but have mercy on me. So Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. That's why that sense, let me be a feather on the breath of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Let thy word be a lamp path for my path ahead on my way to Jerusalem. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now that's interesting. I suspect probably the reason they were indignant at James and John is because the two of them got ahead of them in asking for the same thing. After all, if they really didn't care about having a place themselves in this sort of egocentric world, why would they care about what James and John asked for? It's so often we are able to see the flaws in others with which we struggle most ourselves. If I have a lot of problem with anger, I notice a lot of angry people around, or whatever it may be, pride and all the whole list. Pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony. And so they were indignant. And often righteous indignation comes from frustrated sinfulness. It's, they always say, what is it that uh, hypocrisy is the tribute that sin pays to virtue, that at least sin wants to look virtuous? Well, I think this is what we find with the others. How often have I been irritated at someone else? And if I really am honest, I'll admit it's because I myself have got that sin of theirs double. I just won't admit it, but I can see it clearer in them than in myself. That's why nothing better than bless me, Father, for I have sinned. So important, the sacrament of mercy and the confession part too, not just the absolution. Because it's the confession part that gets you to, you know, to know the need for God. How can we experience God's mercy and be aware of our need for it unless we're aware of our sins. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And that's the only way that we are called to serve humbly, recognize our own sins. And that's why we need to have a repentant spirit. That's why really our Lord Jesus and John the Baptist both began with repent for the kingdom of God is near at hand. Repentance doesn't lead to depression or to uh, sadness. Repentance leads to an awareness of God's mercy and an awareness of our own need for God's mercy, which should make us more compassionate towards all the other people whose sins we see as clearly as the other disciples saw the sin of James and John. Our, we're 2020 vision for the sins of other people. But we need to say, Lord, let me serve. And that's why the Pope's most important title is Servant of the Servants of God. And it's probably taken right from this. Whoever would be first among you must be servant of the servants of God. He must be a slave to all. Because that's Jesus. What does God look like when he comes amongst us? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what it looks like in our own lives, God only knows. It will take different forms depending on our circumstance. But we're there to be at the service of others and in losing ourselves to find ourselves. The problem is the ego. When we become kind of narcissistic and you know, there's a book about that called the, the object of my affection is my reflection. And uh, if we get into that and we can all do it any time, we're gonna not be able to really serve. And we're not gonna find an inner peace. We'll just be spinning around our little self and it's just, I think it's a thing we all have to face, every one of us. And as he speaks of this, we then experience it, the real thing, the other side, the opposite to James and John. We see it next. And with that, we end off this portion of the gospel. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bar Timaeus, a bind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is, by the way, the only time anyone ever calls Jesus, Jesus, in the whole gospel. But he cries out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this, of course, with other, other portions of scripture that are similar to it, is the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As we recognize, as Bartimaeus did not at this point, that Jesus is more than son of David. He is, because that could be taken on a low path towards the kind of glory that James and John were looking for. A son of David as earthly Messiah, people sitting at the right and the left. But and so in the Jesus prayers that is developed in our, the tradition, it is Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But the big point is Lord have mercy, which we say at every mass. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows his need for God. Let's ask the Lord now just to help us 
Let's put ourselves to the place of Bartimaeus at the side of the road, not in the front, not up front there and right and left of the Lord, but off to the side, as the Holy Father says, on the periphery, on the edge, living on the edge, that's a new thing, just not there pushing to get number one, but off to the side. And let us just say in our own hearts, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And think of how much we need that. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Holy disobedience. There we are. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. How often is Jesus calling? Come follow me. Bring him to me. Do not chase away the little children. Let them come to me. He doesn't command, he invites. He calls each one of us, and he usually calls us by name. Take heart, arise, he is calling you. And throwing off his mantle, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He was amazed. He sprang up and came to Jesus, throwing aside his mantle. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And that's what he asked James and John too, isn't it, earlier. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And they wanted to lord it over everyone. But Bartimaeus had a very real need. And he said, Master, let me receive my sight. And Bartimaeus came from a humble heart. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And he wasn't trying to push ahead. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. And we may imagine he followed him on the way. He, he followed the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to us, each one of us, receive an ability to see Jesus, the Son of David, the Lord, the source of mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy in me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Bartimaeus could see that, and yet he was just at the side of the road. James and John have been traveling with Jesus all the time, and they didn't see that yet. They were spiritually blind to that, because the ego can make it so we don't see what's really important, and it can hide ourselves from ourselves, it can hide God from ourselves, it's like a big block. Our ego can block out the light of Christ. 
We, and that's the trouble with pride, you know, because the little I in the middle of P-R-I-D-E, and same as sin, I, the little tiny letter, and yet it's, it blocks everything. And Bartimaeus didn't have that. He just said, have mercy on me. He knew his need. And because of that, his, his life was saved, that he could he who could see more profoundly into the meaning of Christ was received his physical sight, but most importantly, he followed him on the way. And all of us who follow him on the way need to be like Bartimaeus and be like James and John ultimately became but it took a lot of cracking through the ego before they got there. And they actually drank the cup that Jesus drank and were immersed as he was. And then in that, they became purified. May we also be purified. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard of it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bar Timaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man and saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his mantle, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.